Welcome back to this podcast that we like to call The Wise Man's Page, even though it is a splinter podcast from the wider mother podcast, Page of the Wind. And on this podcast, we like to read a page of this book called The Wise Man's Fear, which is uh, the sequel to The Name of the Wind, which we did in a previous podcast, which was also the same podcast. And this particular page of this podcast is page 637 of Stone. Dispassionate calm can be a useful frame of mind, but it does not make for a compelling performance. I played for hours, and by the end of it, I felt like myself again. By which I mean, I could look at Valurian with no more reaction than you might normally feel looking at the most beautiful woman in the world. I can still remember her, sitting naked among the cushions, twilight-colored butterflies dancing in the air between us. I wouldn't have been alive had I not been aroused, but my mind seemed to be my own again, and I was grateful for that. She made a disappointed noise of protest as I set the lute back into its case. Are you weary? She asked with a hint of a smile. I would not have tired you, sweet poet, had I known. I gave my best apologetic smile. I'm sorry, but it seems to be getting late. Actually, the sky still showed the same purple hint of twilight it had since I first woke, but I pushed on. I'll need to be moving quickly if I'm to meet. My mind went numb as quickly as if I'd been struck a blow to the back of my head. I felt the passion, fierce and insatiable. I felt the need to have her, to crush her body to mine, to taste the savage sweetness of her mouth. Only because of my arcane training did I hold on to any concept of my own identity at all. Even so, I only held it with my barest fingertips. Valurian sat cross-legged on the cushions across from me, her face angry and terrible, her eyes cold and hard as distant stars. With a deliberate calm, she brushed a slowly fanning butterfly from her shoulder. There was such a weight of fury in her simple gesture that my stomach clenched and I realized this fact. No one ever left Valurian. Ever. She kept men until their bodies and minds broke beneath the strain of loving her. She kept them until she tired of them, and when she sent them away, it was the leaving that drove men mad. I was powerless. I was a novelty. I was a toy, favorite because it was newest. It might be a long while before she tired of me, but the time would come. And when she finally set me free, my mind would tear itself apart with wanting her. That's the page. My name's Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. It's so scary. Yeah, <laughs> this is my favorite kind of uh, of fantasy fay where they are both beautiful and terrifying uh, and their passions and their whims can, can change from instant to instant. I love it. I love it so much. We've had a hint of this with Bast at the end of the last, uh, the last book where we understand that he is a creature of not pure id. I feel like a lot of his training is to learn to kind of mitigate those urges and that id, but he like does have a very different sense of morality and I think Valerian is is very similar. I think of Valerian as being even less not like I'm going to say civilized, but I I don't really mean that. I mean like Valerian is more of a more of an energy, more of a force of nature, an elemental than than Bast is. Bast's and actually now that I think about it, that's the only Fey creatures we we really encounter explicitly Fey, since Bast refuses to acknowledge the Cathay as as anything related to him. But yeah, we only have these two to kind of draw against so who knows how much bast has been influenced by his time among mere mortals it strikes me that Fulurian 
is a being like she can allow herself to be completely ruled by her passions because she's no powerful that like it's not like anything could like impose a consequence or a you know a punishment for it on her right like she can she's a god essentially she can do whatever she wants and uh, she's the perfect combination of some someone with limitless power uh, in her sphere and no one to tell her no. It's almost a little bit like the uh, the Twilight Zone episode where there's like the little kid who makes things happen just by thinking them. And then everyone in the town that he lives in is terrified of doing anything to make him mad because he'll like send them away. Like it's the same kind of thing. Like she's not malicious. She's not like evil, but she is a kind of childlike id in that sense. Like she wants what she wants. And if you don't give her what she wants, she gets mad. <laughs> You mentioned that she's like a god, and I think that's the closest analog. Because I'm thinking about like what is her purpose, you know, like where does she sit in? We we know that there's like a fake court, right? So like where what is her rank? And I get the sense that there is no rank, and she sort of fills no purpose. She just like she exists because she must exist. Like as long as there is lust and desire, uh, she must exist. As long as the fae are creatures, you know that have wanton affections and and so on like i feel like she's somehow intrinsically tied to the the turnings of the world and that she exists because she must exist and that's all there is to it so you know i think maybe she she is a god in that sense and maybe this is potentially a clue to the cosmology because we get a lot of lip service paid to various gods especially telu and his angels and um, we learn from Felurian that, you know, she knows about Jax and, uh, I think Jax is tied to the Chandrian. I guess what I'm trying to say here, although we don't get much proof of it to my memory is that, uh, the kind of creature, the kind of God that Felurian is, is potentially the same kind of God that Telu is, or even like Haliax is like, there might actually be a clue to the workings of the, the greater cosmology in, the way that Valyrian works. Yeah, I think that Rothfuss has kept the, as you say, the the cosmology or the the sort of higher powers of his world deliberately vague and somewhat contradictory. Because there's like, as you say, there's like kind of several competing simultaneous sets of belief, right? Or like, you know, sort of powerful supernatural beings. And it's not clear how you know, are all of them real and distinct from each other? Are all of them real, but they're all kind of the same thing and people have different names of them or different understandings of them. I think that's one of the big mysteries of this series. And I think that it is something that we'll probably have a clearer understanding of by the end of it. Cause I do think that's kind of the point or one of the points at any rate, Jordana, what, what are your thoughts about this page? I feel like you guys definitely read more into this page than I read into this page. Like I, I, the most I read into this page is she's very scary. And uh, like, I think that when I first read this, I was, I was like, well, I don't know how he's going to get out of this one. (laughs) (laughs) Like that was, that was essentially my response to this. And I was like, I guess I should read because I have no idea on earth how he could possibly figure this shit out. Like now I know because I've read the book, but like, I was just very happy to be like, oh, okay, I guess he's trapped mm-hmm. here. <laughs> yeah, this this chapter is a real, like, 
kind of heel turn for Falurian. And it is also a big like cliffhanger chapter ending of like, as you say, like, oh boy, how's Quoth going to get out of this jam? Seems like he's pretty I don't screwed. know that I'd call it a heel turn, but it is a, a reminder of the danger he's in, even though Quoth seems to get a handle on it and seems to start understanding the rules. We are reminded that he's still very much a prisoner and very much out of his depth at this time. I think it's also a neat detail that Falurian is consistently described in terms of like the night sky. Like previously she's kind of been compared to the moon. Uh, and on this page, you know, her eyes are cold and hard as distant stars. I think that that's a use. That's like an interesting comparative conceit because it, it's used pretty consistently throughout, but it's used in different ways to reflect the different ways Rothfuss wants us to feel right. It's one thing to compare something, you know, as lovely as the moon uh, but you can use the same kind of imagery to to create a very different kind of mood. And I think that's neat. We also get our first clue to how time works, or rather how space works in the Fae. I'm reminded of the um, the recurring bit in Community, uh, Professor Spacetime. Uh, mm-hmm. Come, Constable, we haven't much space. Um, <laughs> because we are we are told that even though much time has passed, the sky hasn't changed, and eventually, when Quoth takes a walk, the sky starts to change, and we we learn rather interestingly that time and space are coterminous, commingling, extremely related in the Fey, which is uh, actually a conceit that I really like, and I like think about all the time, and I think would be a really made, really neat like hook for a. Uh, a D&D game or even just like a D&D dungeon or something. And you can also make a really cool like mechanic out of it. Like if you were designing a dungeon in a, in a game, in a video game or in a, even in a D&D game, you could have a really interesting like puzzle sequence where you would have to like move in a certain way in order to cause time to, to advance and, and retreat. You know, you need the, the sun to be at high noon to solve one thing. So someone has to be like, you know, standing on the hamster wheel that moves the moves the sun. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, it's super neat. And I wonder if it comes back. I feel like with all the effort that goes into teaching us this in much the same way that a lot of effort went into teaching us about naming and, and all of the other stuff and, and sympathy in the very beginning. I wonder if this is a magic system, so to speak, that will return. I hope not. Because I think for me, the purpose that it serves is to show that like this place is so magical, so like kind of wildly magical that to the extent that it has rules at all, that's sort of beside the point. The point is not to understand it. The point is to sit like a child and go, ooh, cool. Wow. Magic. You could be right. But I do think that Quoth has to return to Faye in book three. I think that is there's a few untied loose ends that involve Quoth's return to Fey, not the least of which is how he meets uh, and collects Bast. So I suspect there will be a return to Fey at some point. Yeah, I never had considered that possibility. Well, your eyes are blind. But now the call is lifted, for I am come. I don't want a call of come over my eyes. What? Oh, Jeremy, you ruined everything. <laughs> you did this, Nick. You did this. <laughs> Uh, Jordana, would you like to rescue us with with anything? Yes, I have the final note, which is the end of the chapter. This chapter was called The Fire Itself, uh, which refers to how Quoth describes that when Florian is sleeping, she is a painting of the fire, and when she is awake, she is the fire itself. It, well, it ties back into the way that we've heard naming described, where like a word is a picture of a fire and a name is the fire itself. 
I would also argue that uh, he definitely put himself from the frying pan into the fire itself here. Yeah, yeah. That'd be funny if that's, I mean, I, I am inclined to read a lot into the chapter titles. It would be funny if that's the intention, like, out of the frying pan into the fire itself. This letter today is from Jordana. What? And it's called Podcast Expenses. Hello, Nick. Please see below hey. my page of the wind expense report. <laughs> <laughs> so businesslike, so official. I sent that email like weeks ago. Thank you for sharing. Uh, yeah, we'll be sure to get back to you with the with the the follow up to your expenses, and uh, we'll be sure to reimburse you for those. Uh, and here's another letter. <laughs> this is from Curtis, who writes on Jordana's singing. I am. It's not, not on my expense report. Well, we'll see. Maybe you'll sing about your expense report. I am not sure that any singing can canonically be of the Lathani, but if any could be, then Jordana's in Wise Man's Fear 587 would have been. Because it was spontaneous and came from the soul, coming out in a burst of expression and fun, repressing that would have been bad, just like repressing a laugh. Sing when you want to sing. Remember when Quoth says that Ben would sing along with the troupe? and would look for the notes in all of the wrong places, but that they embraced his singing because it was an expression of self in the community and an expression of fun. Same thing here. I rather liked your tune. So I am not comparing singing abilities, but the important thing is the spirit in which you sang it. This is important to me because I am a musical, and I think that these books have done more for me about learning the why and power of music than perhaps anything else in some total. And I know that naming, and I know that music done properly is of the soul. It is true speech, naming, just like the knowing of blue, 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 the intimacy with the self in the present experience and the expression of that knowing combined are what make it proper. Knowing and doing the Lathani. So please do sing when you simply cannot do otherwise. Signed, Curtis. I actually don't remember singing. (laughs) You did it in like a fugue state. (laughs) (laughs) I have no recollection of singing anything. I will have to listen to that episode. Yeah, Jordana has never sang. This is a 1984 situation wherein uh, we are changing the record. There has always been, or there has never been a song in page 587. Yeah, we are, we are <laughs> erasing Jordana from the picture of the three of us. Although I do, I do appreciate the letter, and I'm now going to go back and I'm going to listen to that episode just to be sure. But also um, the way that uh they describe how singing is is also like how i imagine dancing like it doesn't matter how bad you are at dancing it matters that you're expressing yourself <laughs> agreed because I, I i don't consider myself to be a particularly good singer nor do i consider myself to be a particularly good dancer but i definitely like doing both just maybe not where people can watch me do it <laughs> yeah it's interesting that you draw the connection to dance i often think about how because of my various backgrounds and trainings i have like worked in or at least encountered in great detail almost every form of fine art uh, except for dance so i sort of can see the seams a little bit and i feel like i'm able to critique with some measure of understanding almost every form of fine art but dance completely eludes me i know nothing of dance i cannot speak to dance at all so it's such a, like a baffling uh, and profound experience. Like when I see dance that moves me, I'm like, I don't understand why that worked. Whereas, you know, if I see like 
you know, a music theater production that moves me, I can sort of be like, okay, I understand why this worked because of X, Y, Z, they did this and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. but, uh, dance is great magic in reference to the first letter we read. If you want to help us to settle Jordana's expense report, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash page of the wind or ko-fi.com slash page of the wind and uh, subscribing or tipping us a, a small amount for as little as a dollar a month. You can get access to our now very massive back catalog of Patreon exclusive episodes as well as a wide showcase of Jordana's work and exclusive uh, merch opportunities. I too have a final note. Uh, however, it regards uh, our vacation. Oh, yes. Go ahead. I'm all about expense reports and vacations. It's very business-like today. Yeah, extreme business podcast. I'm not going to say it. You're going to say it. I'm just reminding you to say it. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, listeners, if you weren't aware, we are uh, going to take a summer hiatus. We are going to uh, stop our current season at the end of chapter 99, and we're going to pick up where we left off at the beginning of September. Um, So regular listeners, uh, you will not have access you know you, you won't be getting new episodes for that time patron subscribers you will still get your monthly patron episodes and all the associated bonus gobbledygook and uh, you'll all uh, be able to enjoy us when we return we're rested and refreshed ready to rock and roll on uh september the first very well is that acceptable business jordana yes acceptable business business has been complete all right we can put business jordana back into her coffin sealed away Beneath a crossroads. In the bottom of Omatai Manor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> sort of a, a demulich figure inside a tomb of horrors. They come out once a month around build time. <laughs> May no one put the gems back in her eyes until tomorrow's page. Uh, the wind. wind. wind.